I'm Jean Reed. And I'm Kyle Thompson. And you're listening to General Intellect Unit. And this time we are reading Neither Vertical Nor Horizontal by Rodrigo Nunes. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, whatever. Um, he, he can come on the show to correct me if, uh, if, they, if I got that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a book that was published in May of 2021. And it's pretty damn good. I, I enjoyed this quite a bit. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is yeah, be yeah. Like I, 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 you know, had a few caveats here or there, but it's like this is a this is a solid read. Yeah, yeah, really strong read. Um, it, I feel like I mean, for a lot of books, this is the case, but I would recommend readers go and actually read this if they feel it's 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 interesting because um, it's very dense. Um, it's very well written, and it, it it's 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 too dense for us to do like a paragraph by paragraph kind of reading of it where. We're going to be skimming through the concepts, but it is, I think even with that, I think it's still well worth picking up and reading in detail because it's, it's got a lot of stuff in there. It's, it's very well reasoned and well argued. Um, it, it's also just really interesting to find one of these books that's just like really on our wavelength, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I don't think we've seen anything from like... Well, that we haven't we haven't covered half of socialism yet, but uh, I don't think we've seen anything we've you know really read on the show or whatever that's been from. Uh, well, actually, sorry, I'm I'm completely wrong. I'm going back through my memory here, and I remember that people People's Republic of Walmart was also published by Verso, wasn't it? Um, so that's probably the last one we've done that was like a Verso book that was really on our wavelength um yeah but it's it's been quite few and far between yeah yeah it's um i do i do enjoy an occasional verso but um yeah it's 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 interesting how these things work out um yeah and and it's been fun to see like the the just the familiarity and it's like i've i've been fucking saying this all along you know god goddamn <laughs> you know and slam the yeah table, totally that kind of stuff it's full of that kind of thing um and you know yeah, it, it, it's like it's very weird because it is a sort of 10 years later assessment and critique of the Occupy moment. And I guess, you know, we sort of got started out of that milieu um, of like, you know, well, what the hell do we do now kind of thinking Um but you know, it was it was quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> it was it was it was quite a ways back that we got started there, and to, so to see them sort of like pick up that question ten years later, um, it, it feels a little bit like out of sync with time. But at the same time, like the rejoinder itself feels very contemporary. It does, right? I mean. Um... Yeah, in some ways it it felt like because uh, I mean the the book opens the introduction on like yeah the the failures of Occupy and the 2011 sort of um, wave of struggles and stuff and like how um, those those struggles kind of broke immediately or like very quickly on like just like non viability like they couldn't they couldn't hold together they couldn't hold together in the face of any kind of external pressure um, and then. He does talk about like the kind of I guess like rightward turn or whatever or the, the the sort of turn back to like the party and all that kind of stuff and like like the the Jody Dean stuff that kind of thing. 
if you squinted it, you can kind of see the the DSA stuff in there, right? Like the kind of and the revival of Leninism and all that kind of shit. Um, but he, he doesn't dwell a lot on that. It, it is kind of centered on 2011 uh, and and onward. And I mean, I think in part as well because like things things have only gotten worse. <laughs> it seems you know, um, in in terms of like the um, the author is very critical of like the um, the sort of. Uh, you know, fetish of horizontalism from those days and how that's still kind of with us. But he's also critical of the fetish of verticalism and the sort of party form and all that kind of stuff, the Leninist kind of revival uh, tribute band stuff. But he's he's really kind of critical of this, um, the pendulum swings, right? Like it's, it's like, you know, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck doing the duck season, rabbit season, duck season, rabbit season thing with the posters, right? Like just back and forth. Um, that like the left overall is stuck in this kind of mode of oscillation between these two poles of like vertically integrated like party stuff or totally dispersed horizontal kind of anarchisty sort of uh, the multitude you know riot porn kind of stuff um and seem to not be able to integrate those kind of things um and it kind of the big question here is the question of organization, right? Like, I mean, if we're gonna get anything done, we need to be organized. Um, are either of these camps right about anything? Um, not really. Like, they're both half right and half wrong. And the kind of the way to reconcile this is to think seriously about organization in both vertical and horizontal modes in this kind of mixed mode, um, and to not do this oscillation. Yeah, I mean, it's a very elementary theoretical move to say, you know, <laughs> the golden mean, right? <laughs> of sorts. <laughs> well, it's it's not even the golden mean. It's just it's like, hey, what if, you know, the sort of horizontal pole of politics and the vertical pole of politics were on a spectrum and you could you could sort of um have any number of positions along that spectrum, right? Like it is not, it's not like a super like heavy duty intellectual judo kind of move, right? <laughs> like, it's just like, no. Oh yeah. Like, like something so basic, but like apparently impossible to grasp um for for a good period of uh leftist history um and i think that uh when he like gets into the details of sort of like why philosophically this has been so hard to grasp um it's quite interesting uh but the move itself if you were like sort of thinking about it abstractly is quite simple. Yeah, right, um, right. Like, if, if you were to show this to, like, if you were to show the argument to, like, your average, I don't know, fucking economist reader or somebody who reads CFT or whatever, they would say, yeah, of course. <laughs> what are you saying? You know, there's nothing here. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, or just, like, if you presented it in a sense, like, in a, in a context that wasn't about, like, political organizing, it was just like, oh, like, you know, like, you know, you have term A, you have term B. What if there was a spectrum between these two terms? Like that is that is not like <laughs> <laughs> in itself terribly complicated. 
But once you get it into a sort of historical political context and an ideological context, then it becomes something that you need a full length book to actually dig into, uh, which is a little depressing. But, uh, you know, it's still it's still quite a good effort. And of course, it it really rhymes with Beer's uh, critique of uh, centralization and decentralization as a as a false dichotomy. Yeah, absolutely right. That's um, that's that's what it was reminding me of all along, right? Um, through the, through reading this whole thing, um, I guess the the other kind of well, it's a related thing that's definitely under critique critique here as the um, the left's tendency towards kind of prescriptive approaches to politics, right? Like you you get these two camps. But also, like each of them is kind of thinking in terms of how things should be, like the, the, the how the prescribing the form of the party that must be applied, um, or you know, on the other side, pres- prescribing the form of the multitudinal riot that must be applied, or whatever. And the author here has this much more like just very practical and like complex ecological kind of approach to thinking about these kind of things that like. Like actual conflicts on the ground give rise to various social forces rather than being about choosing between two forms you know that you have to prescribe yeah, yeah, you have these these two uh reified forms of politics uh that don't relate to anything that actually exists in reality uh or is like is exactly possible in any situation but are just like held up as ideal models that have to be implemented and your only choice is between a or b if you're a lefty um and you know uh maybe you throw uh sock dem politics in there somewhere um it's it's yeah like it is um a very impractical approach to organization uh, because it's not really about organization it's about uh partisan affiliation and about um i guess like the desire for clear and simple solutions, right? That like, oh, well, if I reduce the variety of this problem down to A or B, then I only have two choices to worry about, right? Like that, that it provides like sort of pseudo answers to problems that, have like a low variety to them but are completely useless at the same time yeah like like what we are warned about so it's like the one bit channels or whatever where it's like it's it's crushed yeah exactly <laughs> it's crushed the variety to such an extent that like you you do get this very highly quantized unambiguous like it's an unambiguous answer but the answer is either zero or one right there's no actual information there yeah and 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 any useful answer would be something in between us yeah like a fucking floating point value or some kind of thing um so in opposition to that pres- prescriptive um, kind of approach to politics, the author's taking a much more practical kind of thing and looking looking at how things actually are. Like, what, wh- how does political organization actually go about? Um, 
And so he's looking at he's looking at it in terms of like, you know, instead of this opposition between organization and spontaneity, he's seeing a kind of continuity of like, you know, natural organization through to intentional organization and that like everything everything in the universe is organized in some way. Like it's it's you you can't really claim that there's spontaneous stuff which is unorganized and then there's organized stuff which is not spontaneous. Like it's it's just not how reality works. Um, rea real systems are a complex mesh of bits that are more organized than others, bits that are more dispersed, and bits that are just mixed, and bits that change over time, that become more structured, that lose their structure, that blend and mix into each other. Um, and yeah, like, even even that kind of, kind of split between... Yeah, like, I, I do love this thing where he has the, the continuum from natural to intentional organization, where... Even if you're not intentionally organizing something, or, like, basically, in these social movements or in these political movements, individuals who are not in parties or are not card-carrying members of a union, they are still organizing, right? They are still organized. Organization is still happening, even in the absence of, you know, capital O organizations with dues and cards and shit like that. It's super important. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like organization is everywhere, which is the sort of like heavy duty ontological work, uh, that, uh, Nunez is doing here. Um, mm -hmm. it's very, it's very pickering in that sense, right? Like, and it's, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's coming out of uh, cybernetics and systems theory, complexity theory, all that kind of stuff. But trying to provide um, a rejoinder to the um, sort of anarchist leaning, uh, everything is spontaneously self-organizing, therefore we don't need to do anything, um, uh, sort of like uh, wishful thinking. Yeah, because like, um, I guess because those failures are more recent, right, like that, the most recent wave has been this horizontal fetish, anarchist inflected stuff, and it's failed miserably. So that's the kind of thing that's more vigorously under attack here, because he's, like, he'll spend more paragraphs talking about like the, the desperate need to take organization seriously and go beyond this like, local only fetish of organizing. He he's he's also very critical of you know party Leninist fucking dead enders or whatever, but their their failures are so far in the past that it's almost it's not even worth talking about in some ways you know, um, the, the fetish we're stuck in well yeah this is the bit we're, we've been talking about that's that's kind of missing is the kind of more recent years of the turn to the DSA and the turn to the Corbyn's labor and stuff like that as like back to the party and it, it is interesting that that's kind of absent. Or just sort of, you know, the like the various um, sectlets uh, on on the the Leninist model that have like recruited people in the time since Occupy, uh, they still exist, right? They're still happening. It's not that they're not around. It's just that they have political relevance outside of the left. I guess you would say. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, whereas, you know, I don't know, making community gardens 
I suppose, has at least some, like, local political relevance uh, uh, on the other end of the spectrum. Like, like you know, somebody who isn't in the left would actually have to interact with people doing that sort of thing, um, as opposed to the sectlets that are just, like, purely uh, internally uh, preoccupied, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're just they're monadic. They, you don't really get any contact with them. Um, I guess maybe the, the kind of the reason this is another big theme in the book, right? That like um, uh, the, the left sort of turned away from organization in the sort of vertical sense, or like like it, it became a dirty word, right? Like organization, and so there was a big turn towards this horizontal fetish, and that's that was a trauma response, basically. That like the uh, the traumas and failures of you know, the 1917 through to, you know, 1960 or whatever kind of period were so visceral and so so traumatic that it prompted a very strong pendulum swing in the opposite direction. And then it also turned out that the opposite direction didn't work either. Um, and that it's, it just happens to be that that failure is more recent and is more palpable. And so when... When the author is saying we have to actually blend these things and be serious about how organization as a natural phenomenon actually functions, it's it it is a swing back towards the vertical. But it's he's not aiming for total verticalism. He's aiming for a sensible kind of blended model where we can actually consider all of these these um these these the, all of the ways that organization actually functions in the world. Yeah, some degree of. Uh, like thinking about organization as something that exists everywhere and then what kinds of organization would actually be effective in uh, achieving uh, the goals of, uh, well, leftists or or people who are looking for emancipation um, and uh, in a way that isn't susceptible to uh, sort of asymmetrical uh, capture by um, a small number of actors, right? Yeah, and like seeing seeing organization as an enabling condition for action, um, and, and as you said, being on guard against uh, corruption, but like seeing it as an enabling condition is a big step away from where a lot of the left seems to be now, which is seeing organization as exclusively dangerous and toxic um cool so chapter one is uh towards a theory of political organization where he gets into a lot of this kind of um confusion between you know or- organizations and the party versus spontane spontaneity um which i guess i mean one of the big lessons here is that like organization is not solely about building organizations like with a big O, like it's not about building the party, uh, nor nor is it about totally dis- dispersed, you know, miasma kind of action that uh, a lot of anarchists are quite quite fond of fetishizing. But it's also like, you know, when 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 your Leninists come on on the scene and they say no, the the one and only answer is to build the party, they're fucking wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Because it's it's um, it really sidesteps the question of like is this an appropriate mode of organization for our circumstances is does this achieve the goals that it ostensibly sets out to achieve? Uh, 
it's just you know organization like you know is as a sort of like um slogan to shout in response to uh let's all do um uh vegetable gardens um you know as 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 a program of politics yeah and like early on um in the chapter he kind of draws out like the various meanings of the word organization like you can kind of list out like uh, first meaning as like capital O organization as like a, a named noun, like the Labour Party or the Communist Party, you know, these kind of like fully, you know, identified singular things. Um, but there's also organization in the sense of like the activity of individuals, like organization as a verb, right? Like the activity of both individuals and groups organizing life. Um, the vegetable gardens are also organization and that they, they organize social life. Um yeah, like they they are organized actually, uh, and depending on the scale you're looking at, or sort of the, sorry the scope you're looking at, like they can seem fairly centralized in themselves. Uh, these these uh, these small organizations are not necessarily uh, of a completely different kind uh than larger organizations um uh, and and uh they you know they can sort of intentionally um prevent themselves from growing uh so as to avoid having much effect on anything uh but then at that at that level like like what's the point you know right it's it's kind of like well, if you're if you're intentionally being ineffective because you don't want the organization you have to be too large, then, um, you know, you're just kind of engaging in a masturbatory politics of like, well, let's let's organize, but also let's not organize. Um, yeah. And that's that's where the, the fetish of spontaneity really gets its grip, right? Like that. It's a kind of way of disavowing it's it's a way of shying away from again again, this trauma response, right? Like a kind of way of shying away from things something you don't want to get into by saying, Oh no, 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 this this is just spontaneous, right? Like it's this it's this weird kind of deflection or disavowal. Um Yeah, it's a disavowal, that's right. It's like, no, no, we're not actually organized. Like this is spontaneous. But it's like but like you you got like I know you've got a board, you know, you've, you've, you like, you have an AGM, like you've, you like, I don't know, you, you, you've got representatives to talk to the city council. Like, how are you not organized? This is, it's just a bizarre way to think. Yeah. And I think that the, the, the claim here then is that like, even the spontaneous is organized. Like it's, it's the, the way these words get thrown around is a meaningless kind of distinction. Like they're actually, they're, they're two facets of the same process, like the, the process of organization. And that like, as you said, like at, at relative scales, you'll get, depending on where you zoom into, things might seem more diffuse or more concentrated. They'll seem looser or more tightly connected. Um, and you know, it's, this is just the way reality functions, right? Because nothing in reality is unorganized. Every, everything is in a process of organizing. Um, yeah. So there is a um, there is a there's a there's a quote from the introduction that I just wanted to read because it, it says um, 
organization is not just a danger, but an enabling condition. What gives each individual the possibility of expanding their limited capacity to act by pooling resources with others, constituting a collective capacity to act and extending its duration over time. And it's just, again, it's, it's really quite an obvious statement when you put it down, but if you pose it in terms of the gulag or the multitude, um, then it's quite easy to side with the multitude against the gulag, right? Like it's 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 like uh, okay, like you know, we're not we're not going to organize at all, despite you know if we thought about it in terms of like we want to achieve something, realizing that organization is sort of required as a force multiplier to achieve anything at all. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, that that quote's a really good way of getting us to the, um, what the fuck are the terms, uh, potentia versus potestas um, that are introduced in, in chapter one. It, is This is borrowed from Spinoza, if I'm not wrong. I think you're right. Um, it, it's term, two terms that get used a lot in this book. Um, and it's kind of the thing where it's like, this is still a verso book in the sense that like, it's still very... It's still very like engaged with the well, it's engaged with like the vocabulary and the sort of um, jargon of theory, even though it's not really like a theory wank book. Right. Like it's 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 not it's not um, your sort of typical verso thing. Um, It's it's actually trying to say something useful. Uh, but, uh, it's still using some of the, like, you know, the tools of theory, uh, to discuss these things and, and sort of engaging in that, like, internal left discourse. Um, Mm -hmm. so let me just have a quick look like the, uh, would it be fair to say that like Patestas is like power, uh, concretized power, like state power, the police army, and like just, you know, power, power, um, and that's. Yeah, it, it 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 well, it's 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 like it's like when you have a potential and it manifests and then it sort of calcifies and ossifies and becomes a rigid structure that uh serves the interests of those that are in power. Uh that's potestas, right? So potentia becomes potestas. So you know, potentia is sort of like, you know, the 1905 revolution and then potestas is Stalin. Yeah, right? exactly is, right. is, you know, to put it in very simple terms, right? Um, and like the, the, the thing here is that like the, the weak only have potentia, they don't have potestas. And so that means it is necessary for the weak to organize, you know, the weak in quotes or whatever, you know, like people without power must organize to amplify their potentia to be able to challenge potestas. Um, again, pretty straightforward stuff. Like if you show it to somebody who reads the fucking economist or whatever, they'll just go, yeah, sure. What the fuck's the point? Like, what are you getting at here? You know, <laughs> um, but you know, it's, it's pretty straightforward stuff that like you can't really get anywhere on your own. Um, being in a position of not having power just necessitates organizing to amplify power. Um, organizing in that way 
it 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 it, it restricts it, it sort of um you know coordinates your actions and coordination is a form of like um constriction you know it like it, it, it there's a certain reduction of freedom in some way but there's a massive amplification of your ability to challenge power and get the goods right um yeah because if it's if it's if it's totally unstructured like it's literally just brownian motion um and like you know that's not what it's like just maximum entropy right um and that that's not what uh nunez is saying we find in social life like actually there is organization um towards various ends uh and so it's not like we exist in a state of like just total atomization um but if you were to sort of take it to the extreme that's what you would get is just maximum entropy it's just just it's just shit moving around randomly with no end at all yeah the um and and like the, the, the mention of Brownian motion kind of reminded me of like a, 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 I'm not sure if I coined this or if it's a, if it just if it's something that bounced around my head or if I if I got it from somewhere. But like the notion of like um, the maximally horizontalist kind of theory of revolution being a kind of like Boltzmann brain theory of revolution, where like you know um, like Boltzmann proposed that like you know from just random quantum fluctuations by sheer chance a fully formed human brain could just materialize out of nowhere in the void and it would it would have a, it would have one thought and then immediately die and decay away you know and that's kind of just re it reminds me so much of like and this is stuff that the, the author will get to criticizing but like the kind of the faith in that happening just like the the revolution will happen randomly through brownian motion is very much a boltzmann brain kind of theory of revolution it's just gonna the revolution's gonna spontaneously emerge fully formed from quantum fluctuations you know yeah it's 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 a pure singularity right like it 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 happens uh without any obvious precedent and it 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 just it just exists and then it never becomes potestas because it's just it's just this moment of like absolute liberation, like a pure line of flight. Um, and, and, and that's it. And it's, it's like, it's a causal, right? That's the thing is because it's not, it's not causally connected to anything. It's just this weird. Well, because it's a singularity, like there's, there's no cause you can associate it with. It just, ex it just emerges, uh, instantaneously. Yeah. yeah. Um, the next section called Acting Together uh, of this chapter um, kind of goes over, like, I, I guess, like, basically, like, there's a couple of different ways that people act together, like, in this kind of very high-level sense. Um, we have aggregate action, and which is, I guess you'd say, is the horizontal kind. Um, collective action, which is the kind of vertical sort of kind. Um, and then, but in, in actuality, the way things actually work in, in society and in real social movements is distributed action, which is this mixed sort of mode where it's it's not entirely. Oh, I was just going to say the aggregate form is like exactly what Marx was referring to when talking about the peasantry as a sack of potatoes. Like they're just they're just they're just a a a heap of uh, totally heterogeneous, non-communicative atoms. Right. It's, um, 
aggregate action being like when society changes, but just purely through the aggregate effect of individual changes. Um, the example that's given early here is like the sexual revolution or just like the general, you know, Brownian motion wandering towards the acceptance of gay people or whatever, you know, like, um, which is, but, but like later, like the, um, the author will point out that actually no that that the way that that revolution actually happened was much more of the mixed the distributed action where it was a combination of like i don't know individual people getting slightly less homophobic over time for for no particular reason and also organized action on the part of gay people you know like it, to to pretend that the collective action was absent entirely would be crazy right like there was there were you know and as Again, we can see that, like, depending on where you zoom into and what time period you're talking about, things are more or less concentrated, more or less organized. Pe various people are involved in various activities that are more or less organized than each other, but that doesn't mean that their activity is disorganized. They are organizing just as much as the fucking card-carrying members of a party are, you know? Uh, yeah, and, uh, like, you... In terms of the collective fantasy, like... It's sort of that you have the Vanguard party um, and then, you know, like Putin starting the invasion of Ukraine, they just um, <laughs> they just, you know, put out the call for the rev. And then it just it just happens because everybody is fully collectivized and everything is regimented. And it's just like you're moving out you know, like literal regiments of troops that have been trained and disciplined and follow orders to the T. Um, yeah, which is like a fantasy of revolution, uh, but it has no real correspondence to any revolution that like a Leninist party actually was engaged in. Yeah, exactly. Um, especially not the main Leninist revolution, like, God, no, <laughs> that was a chaotic fucking mess as well, you know? <laughs> no, I mean, like, like Lenin's coup to take over was like that, but it wasn't a revolution. It was just a coup, you know? <laughs> it's like <laughs> the revolution stuff had already happened and then Lenin just decided to, you know, take power from Kerensky, who was in a very weak position. Um, and 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 the Bolsheviks, like the the very, the like the the the, the sort of activist cadres in uh, Saint Petersburg, um, you know, they were actually very organized. But the 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 effect that they had was just to take power within that very local context, and there was no actual like connection to society beyond that at that point in time it was just purely a seizure of state power mm -hmm. yeah right um and like the thing here is that like i mean i, I mean we could probably with it's, it's true of that example as well right that like what's actually real like the, the real composition of these movements is this nebula of diverse groups of various sizes unaffiliated people you know, overlapping spaces and forces and um, feedback loops between the sort of um, relatively organized and relatively disorganized kind of layers and segments and recursive nested nested systems. It's an extremely complex sort of way of of of. of it's it, it, it reality is hyper complex and like social reality is no different from that. Like it's it's um, and political action is is also hyper complex in that same way.
like just just think about how like gay marriage in the US was something that basically was done because you know there was a very specific group of republicans who were on board with that agenda very rich and happened to get it through into a legislative context, right? Like that is not anywhere near the model of there is a unitary party, right? Like that was something that was existing on the fringes of a whole bunch of different political actions by all kinds of different organizations and all kinds of uh, people, like you said, who were, you know, maybe just becoming slightly less homophobic over over time as a result of, of of many different pushes by many different organizations. Um and and so, you know, it's it's yeah, like to say it was either just something that happened randomly as a result of aggregates, uh, or to say that it was the result of like, I don't know, like the 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 National Gay Party um, <laughs> it's, it's just they're both absurd, right? Like they're not they don't correspond. Or if you like look at, say, um, like the Vietnam War, right? Like, you know, you have like the Khmer Rouge or sorry, not the Khmer Rouge. Oh, God. <laughs> um, the uh, <laughs> they were around, but not relevant to the context. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah, but you, you have the. Uh, uh, the 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 VC right, and you have the North Vietnamese Communist Party, uh, and and they're like two rather different parties that were engaged in different activities at different points in time, and it's a really sort of chaotic, negotiated, semi antagonistic relationship between them um, at all kinds of different levels that ended up causing the victory uh, over the U.S. It's it's not. Uh, you know, it's not a matter of uh, purely uh, the North Vietnamese running everything and winning or just, you know, spontaneous peasant revolution in the South. Um, it's, it's, it's all kinds of different actors engaged in the, in the situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a distributed action is the rule. That's how things actually work. Um, the... This is one of the bits where the author actually does take aim more so at the verticalists, right? That, like, um, that, like, if we're going to understand how organization works, we can't start from trying to understand it in terms of organizations. Um, we have to ins we have to begin from the, a sort of bottom-up perspective of looking at how organization works for actors, both individual and groups, um, actually coordinating their actions in this kind of mixed context, um, not not starting from building the party as uh, as, an, as an edict. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like even before you get to the critique of the specific prescriptive Leninist party form, uh, you can just say that, you know, uh, organizations are not definitive of organization as a social phenomenon, right? As a process, right? You know, organization as a noun versus organization as a process verb that is constantly going on, even in the absence of those named nouns. 
Yeah, and and a lot of this, you know, like I've been working with process philosophy for work for my PhD research, and a lot of this sort of rhymes with with process philosophy of 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 saying like, well, these things that you think are you know sort of stable entities are actually processes. Um, yeah. Um, in the next section, which I think has quite a lovely little title, uh, Think and Act Global and Local, um, which I think is, is really good kind of summary of the whole book, really. Um, we take this kind of, this kind of turn from the, the ought to the is, right? Like, um, looking at these, looking at uh, political organization in these, like, plural terms, um, and kind of doing these reality checks, and, like, this is where we get to, like, the climate crisis, like that, like, the... Um, and this is where he switches aim, right? Like, he's just taken aim at the verticalists, and now he's taking aim at the horizontalists, right? Like, that the, the climate crisis is too large in scope and too severe for any of these, like, local-first or local-only initiatives to have any impact on it. It is, it is absolutely imperative that organization manage to scale to an actually global scale from, from and including those local initiatives but it's 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 very clear that the local only mode of politics is just a dead end with the climate crisis yeah like it's it's to say that um the stakes are very high and so to intentionally uh pursue being ineffective um is it's self-sabotage <laughs> i mean it's 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 Massively destructive and and basically suicidal, uh, uh, and, and and so you know it's it's like now is not the time for that kind of approach. Um, it's 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 not like you know enormous organizations uh, in the world today are floundering around helplessly trying to address this and at the same time we have local organizations floundering around being ineffective and you know neither of those is able to provide any kind of solution to this crisis um and so we've got to try to do something better than that um there's a lovely point here that i i think might be elaborated a bit more later on but it, it, it's it's kind of hard to tell because like there's some reiteration going on across chapters here but that um part of the problem with the kind of local fetish stuff is that um it kind of hinges on this belief it's it's, it's like the, the butterfly effect essentially that like a, a butterfly can flap its wings and cause a tornado in in fucking texas or whatever um but there's like in in it's a kind of faith in like the ability of very very small initiatives to have outsized global impacts which can happen but what it, what the author points out here is that like it kind of misses a lot of like stuff that you just get in complexity science and cybernetics where you know social systems put a lot of energy into suppressing local variations and to dampening variability and dampening shock waves and so, overall, tiny disturbances locally don't go anywhere, as I think it doesn't take much of a genius to look around at our social reality and conclude that either, right? Um, yeah, it says, um, it says uh, what political readings of nonlinearity tended to neglect, however, was not only that we are not necessarily always in the vicinity of a critical threshold, 
but the two essential concepts of nucleation and critical size. Together, they indicate that so as to be capable of propagating across a system and transforming it, a fluctuation must not only start from a certain point, it does not occur everywhere at once, but this starting point must be large enough to withstand the negative feedback mechanisms that will dampen fluctuations and inhibit change. Yeah, basic cybernetics, right? That like a system will do negative feedback to dampen oscillations. And so in in like your yeah, basically like your your tiny local initiative isn't going to necessarily propagate and spread like wildfire. It'll be dampened. You know, it's, it's basic cybernetics, you know, like, and in order to get over that, you'd have to organize to a sufficient scale where you could over overwhelm the dampeners, you know? Yes. So the, the it sort of follows, right? Like the argument is um, organization is required for um, being effective to to have a, a, a outsized force. And an outsized force is required to have, uh, like, to overcome the negative feedback mechanisms of the system. So, if you don't have any organization, and we take it as a given that, you know, uh, these changes don't happen everywhere at once without any reason, um, then you're going to need to have some kind of organization in order to have that large effect that will overcome the um, dampening uh, negative feedback. Um, next section then is about the traumas of organization. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know, like, have we talked a lot about this sort of thing that, like, um, we've, the left is kind of shying away from? Like, again, so it, it's necessary to organize to transform our potentia into potestas or whatever, but we're so petrified of... No, sorry, like, it's, it's to, to, for, our, for our potential to go anywhere and actually challenge power, we would need to organize. But we're so afraid of that condensing into potestas and, you know, becoming Stalinism again or whatever, that you, you end up with a kind of uh, anarchistic nihilism. It would be preferable to do nothing rather than risk, um, risk doing, uh, doing something that might concretize into power. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, yeah, exactly. Like it, you would rather intentionally be ineffective than do another disastrous organizing effort. Um, that just, that just, you know, new boss is the same as the old boss, right? Like, you know, we're not going to get fooled again. Right. That's the, that's the, the classic line, um, and uh, that becomes like the entirety of your politics because of the trauma, uh, the historical trauma at this point. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's it's also a thing of like. Speaking about the sort of post Occupy thing, the people who did go into the sectlets like are also traumatized by those experiences because they've experienced those like traumatic encounters with potestas, right? Of, 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 of ex exploitative behavior by the sect leaders. Um, and so that, that trauma is not purely historical. It's actually something that's ongoing um, in the left, um, that kind of abuse. Yeah. Um, and I guess the argument here is that like, 
because everything is organized anyway, there's no escape from the question of organization. And so trying to flee from that into pure horizontalism uh, doesn't get you anywhere. Um, and like we need to we need to be we need to organize and to be on guard. You sort of have to organize to be on guard against those potentials, those dark potentials, right? Um, yes, exactly. Like you need to create organization, you know, in sort of that like VSM way of maximizing autonomy while still being effective. Um, and and uh, there's also the thing where uh, Nunes talks about um, organization as a pharmacon. Uh, it's a it's a term that he takes from Derrida. Uh, so essentially, a pharmacon is a remedy and poison, and necessarily both things at once. It is impossible to pin down as either pole of a binary, good or bad, healthy or unhealthy, advantageous or harmful, and so on. So it's like, because organization is already everywhere, because it has this potential to um, amplify the efficacy of the oppressed... Um, and, and do good things, but at the same time, it can become a uh, potestas and, 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 and sort of become its own form of oppression. Um, it is a pharmacon and it, it, it sort of made me think of like the dilemmas of the COVID vaccine. Uh, COVID vaccines is, is it's like, it's very much like a pharmacon as well, at least for myself, right? Where it's like, I, I take the COVID vaccines because I don't want to get COVID. I know very well how horrible COVID is, but my body reacts very negatively to those vaccines. And it put, takes me out of operation for like one to two weeks every single time I take it. So it is actually like a kind of poison to me. And it has a really negative effect on my health. But I take it anyway because, you know, I don't want to get COVID, right? And so, like, there's sort of an inability to think the pharmacon, I think, in that discourse, right? Of like, well, I don't want to take the vaccine because I don't want to have these negative side effects. But then also, like, it's like either or. Like, you can only see the vaccine as a cure or the vaccine as a poison, but you can't think the vaccine is a pharmacon. Yeah. As a mixed thing. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I think, I think that's been a lot of the discourse around the COVID vaccination thing. Um, and also it, we see it in uh, organization discussion of organization as, as Nunes says here. Yeah, right. That like organization is a matter of these mixed trade-offs, and those those trade-offs are there regardless of your ideological commitments, right? Like somebody who's a committed Leninist is going to face the same kind of trade-off um, as somebody who's you know a committed you know whatever the opposite is, right? Like it's regardless of what you think and what your emotional commitments are, this stuff is real, and you have to deal with it. The other thing that he brings up that I think is is resonant about the trauma is that um, our trauma reaction to the catastrophes of uh, organization in the 20th century um, desensitizes us to the trauma of the effects of ongoing uh, in like 
sorry, uh, the ongoing lack of uh, political organization, right? Just just being atomized, just being subjected to uh, structures of oppression is it becomes sort of the water that we are fish in, you know, and, and, and we can only fixate on the traumas of organization as opposed to all the shit we go through constantly as a result of being completely disempowered. Yeah. Like, look, look around, motherfucker. <laughs> you know, do you? Do you do yeah. You, like, <laughs> does this look like a horizontalist wonderland to you for fuck's sake? You know, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, it, it ain't great. There's a lot of there's a lot of trauma of just existing in this state of continuous disempowerment. Um, and to blind ourselves to that uh, by fixating entirely on what happens when organization goes terribly wrong uh, and sort of the Soviet experience uh, is not a reasonable uh, reaction if we take into account the fact that organization is already everywhere. Yeah. It's like you, you're getting organized one way or the fucking other. Like, and currently you're being organized by something else, you know? You're, you're, you're getting fucked over by someone, you know? Uh, the next section then, uh, the one and or the many, is a bit long and kind of philosophically detailed, but it kind of concerns this, again, this kind of split and this oscillation between the one, you know, like, single central thing versus the many, the multitude, and that kind of stuff. Um, and as you can probably predict, the author is going to come down somewhere in the middle in a kind of blend of the two and, and actually kind of dismantle some of the kind of opposition, the kind of um, the binary opposition between these two things. That in reality, there's never really a one and there's never really that many manys. It's a kind of mixed um, sort of thing that's going on. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, we, we get into like a lot of like Spinoza and philosophy uh, just sort of doing the fundamental kind of ontological and metaphysical work. Um, uh, so I had one point here that I highlighted is uh, the collective is nothing but a certain configuration of the individuals that compose it. But those individuals are constituted by the changing relations they have with one another and so each change that each individual goes through is at the same time a change in the collective as a whole. Um, however infinitesimal or large this might be. Um, so, you know, it's the, the aggregate doesn't exist, right, is, is the point there. It, it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. There's no totality, right? There's, there's, there's just this, this reciprocal feedback loop between between individuals in the group and between individuals and the group, and both of them are in motion composing each other. Yeah, I mean, I think the argument is that there is a totality, but the totality is just the universe, right? Like, it, it, there is no other totality than the universe. Everything under that is composite in terms of, of levels of, 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 of totality. Um, so the, the one is composed of manys, uh, uh, sorry, of, uh, yeah, of, of manys, which, you know, have subdivisions which influence each other, right? And it, it's just kind of that, 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 um, that Berean discussion of, um, 
uh, or sorry, of hierarchy, right? That, uh, you know, where you have these relevant levels of hierarchy and the complex effects within them. And you have like the, the VSM, right? Where it's like every, it's recursive, like every, every, every level down, um, has its own internal functioning and its own internal complexities. It's not simply any, uh, homogeneous substance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's sort of, it, it kind of explodes the distinction, like really that, um, because uh, what you often get in sort of left discourse of this is like, oh, is it possible for the the multitude to self-organize without a kind of, like, um, without a vertical component or something? And he's just saying, no, it's, it's always fucking mixed. It's always this reciprocal feedback interaction between vertical and horizontal forces that, like, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all a big fucking blend. So there's, you, you can't, you can't just posit a sort of pristine self-organizing multitude that is then infected by vertical verticalism nor can you posit a pristine verticalism that's infested with horizontal bullshit or something like this is it's an insane way to think about social reality <laughs> yes yeah 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 um and another point that comes up in here that i thought was quite interesting was this point about uh like mimesis and imitation mm -hmm. um yeah that's that, that that's our like for Spinoza, it's our kind of way of socially organizing is our ability to imitate each other and to to sort of effectively effectively imitate like we can feel what everyone else is feeling and we can sort of pass along vibes and feelings to each other. Yeah, so uh there's just following the section that I read, uh Nunes writes, uh this is what Gilbert Simondon was referring to when he spoke of trans individuality. The two individuations, psychic and collective, are reciprocal to each other. They allow us to pose the category of trans-individual as a way to account for the systematic unity of inner, that is psychic, and outer, collective individuation. What this trans-individual perspective does, however, is, is complicate the inside-outside, spontaneous-non-spontaneous, horizontal-vertical distinction implied in Negri's question. For if individuals spontaneously imitate one another, how can adhesion to an idea or person be described as something, quote-unquote, imposed from the outside? You know, that sort of vertical uh, thing. Is following one another in the sense of mimetic identification not exactly what people do? Besides, imitation supposes that whatever is imitated has started somewhere. A new trend does not appear all of a sudden across a large number of people. It grows and develops as people imitate each other, which means that there must have been a wave of early imitations and underneath it an act of invention that brought that trend into the world. So, you know, it's like it had to start somewhere. It had to be imitated by some people and then others and then others and then others. And so in that sense, it's not aggregate, right? It's not aggregate and quote unquote spontaneous. No. Yeah, right. It, it, it's kind of splitting the, the like leadership function from leadership position, right? Because um, even, even if there's no like you know, concrete leadership position, there's still leadership happening in the group and in the movement. There's still, you know, 
initiative actions that are then imitated and propagate as as people you know follow each other's lead but you know those 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 initiatives can originate anywhere it's it's like um in beer we had the uh, it was the thing about how the brain works that it's like redundancy of potential command or something that like and any neuron can start firing the chain that the rest will follow, right? Like it's a very distributed sort of system. But when 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 you see actions being taken, it's I don't know. It would be sort of crazy to say that it was totally, you know, dispersed and there was no local chain of causes at all, right? Yeah, like there's there's no actual synaptic network. Everything is just purely spontaneous uh, and aggregate. Um, yeah, it's, it says here, uh, spontaneous processes also necessarily involve, quote unquote, leaders, not in the sense of objects of common love through which followers identify with one another, but of sources of modulations of collective behavior that will be incorporated by others. So it's like you don't have to have the 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 great leader or the dear leader that everyone is, um, everyone experiences their commonality through. Um, but you do have to have a leader in the sense of following someone's lead. Like there has to be a, a there has to be a source of action and there has to be a causal precedent. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a great leader or even a person it could be an event that gets propagated, but there has to be some kind of propagation that happens and a before and after. Yeah. There has to be initiative. It's, um, yeah, I mean, if, if, um, if Spinoza's right and the, the way that we socially organize ourselves is through this mimetic uh, imitation and mimetic contagion, then there has to be a patient zero for any given meme, basically, right? Like, um, there has to be an origin point. And, you know, it can propagate all over the place. But, yeah, it's, um, I don't know, it, it's great, like, you know, splitting out the... Because, the, like, the, the fear of the leadership position, like, just cows us into these kind of um, being unable to deal with any of this stuff, right? Yes, and, and, and like, it, it makes us think in these terms of, like, distributed spontaneity. Um, but, you know, it's very obvious. You look at something like Occupy Wall Street, right? It's like, okay, so Adbusters calls for a protest at Wall Street. Obviously, Adbusters is not the leader of Occupy in any meaningful sense, but they did they did uh, get something going and it proceeded in a nonlinear fashion. And then from New York, you had Occupy spread to many other places, the, the sort of idea and the form. So Occupy Wall Street was obviously not in a leadership position over all the other occupies like they didn't have like a a a, a a a common turn that all the other occupies were responsible to or anything like that but they were leaders in the sense that they they were the vanguard right like they they started something uh and then others imitated it mm -hmm. um i think maybe one final important point for this chapter is that um you know these groups and movements like even 
even when there is a sort of movement formed, they're never really like a, a single universe, a single universal subject. It's not, it's not like the group never forms like a single mind or like a brain that has like a single subjective experience. The, these movements and groups are always riven with like necessary tensions and conflicts and inconsistencies. Um, so just like the, the notion of like a group mind that emerges, like that, that mind is highly fractured if it exists. Yeah, it's like we can we can acknowledge at the same time that Potestas puts create like is is sorry, Potestas is the like, you know, it exists. There are real structures of power and command that exist in the world that can create completely disproportionate effects, right? Like, you know, uh Biden says go blow up the oil pipeline and then the oil pipeline gets blown up. It's not like there's a sort of, you know, a big like uh hobnob between all the members of the US military and and all the affiliated governments and everybody everybody is completely horizontal and, and, and you know Biden's voice is completely insignificant in all of this. Um it's actually a situation of top-down command that affects a very specific outcome, right? But that doesn't mean that within those organizations, everything is a hive mind. It's just that there are structures in place that amplify down the chain the effects of the person who's in that position of commander-in-chief, right? Um, so it's like it, there can be at the same time a variety of factors acting within that organization and the 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 uh, potential of the actors that are not in positions of power can be suppressed so that their point of view and their will is irrelevant to the outcome. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and I mean, we we would hope that our sort of democratic sort of paradise would be a bit uh, a bit more balanced in how things emerge from there. But even in that case, it's still not going to be like a a single mind. It'll be it'll be a necessarily fractured thing. Um, yeah, it's it's necessarily fractured, but also not necessarily indeterminate. Um, you have to be able to like hold those two things in your head at the same time. That both can exist, right? Power structures can exist. And at the same time, there are no hive minds in reality. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's do chapter two, one or two melancholias, um, which I, I found to be a very interesting kind of um, overview of some of the history of the left. But I guess the broad point is that um, by now there there's there's really two lefts that share a kind of common experience of defeat, but have split into this kind of bifurcated mode with like mutual recrimination between the two sides um reinforcing the split that's the takeaway yes yeah because essentially the the point is that in the telling of the the history of the left you have the sort of new left moment in the 60s and early 70s right and that is portrayed sort of purely through the terms of, um, you know, don't trust anyone over 30, right? Like that, that phrase, um, the initial usage of that phrase was to 
like don't trust anyone from the old left was the meaning of that phrase, right? It was like people in California who were operating in left contexts and were suspicious of people who had come up through the sort of uh, 1917 uh, inspired um, uh, left Leninist movement, right? So everything is seen, you're either new left or you're old left, right? Uh, but what Nunes is saying is if you actually look at the 68 movement or sorry, the 68 moment and the politics of the 60s and early 70s, um, late 60s, early 70s, I should say, um, it's not really that clear cut. And you have maybe the sort of embryonic form of the new left coming about in that time. But like, you know, the like the Panthers were neo-Maoists, right? Like they were still a part of that tradition. And, you know, you had uh, Marxists on the streets in 68 who weren't necessarily dyed in the wool partisans of the PCF and and saying pump the brakes stop the rev right um so there is more uh ambiguity to that uh split in in that actual period of time but what Nunes is proposing is that when the left was crushed in that sort of Thatcher period that 80s period right he, he says like he says he says late 70s but actually I, I think you could probably track it to like post 73 it's kind of after the after the oil shock is when things really start to go downhill in a hurry um uh but anyway it doesn't matter the point is that it's with that crushing defeat that you get the split into two camps, like two, like a real split into two camps with two sort of um, antagonistic, mutually antagonistic memories of what happened in the mid 20th century and in the uh, the the early 20th century sort of Leninist wave of, of revolutions. Um yeah, exactly. The the split is more recent than than those events, right? Like it's kind of because like he's he's going off of Wendy Brown and Jody Dean were writing in like the nine the two thousands basically and and onwards, um, and then it's especially then once you get to like um, the fa the failures of alt of the ultra globalization movement, which which at you know nineties right like Battle of Seattle stuff right like where that was still a kind of it was still a mixed bag, right? There were still kind of vertical and horizontal elements around there, um, but that that kind of crashed on the rocks. And then you get to 2011, which was all horizontal all the time, and that crashed even harder, even faster. And that just deepens this kind of entrenched resentment of um, two sides, right? Like, and it's mu the mutual recrimination of like it's it's kind of each side blaming the other for betrayal, right? Like, um, the kind of um, the 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 old left are blamed for having this nostalgic attachment to these old forms um and for you know betraying the the new left basically and then the new left are accused of betraying the revolution or ab abandoning social conflict entirely um 
this is a mutually constituted death spiral where because you have this hard division it becomes kind of impossible and, and you have this other target for recrimination it becomes kind of impossible to understand yourself at that point like you can't see your own failings you can only see the failings of the other even though the two sides really should see it as a shared defeat and should come to terms with it and understand what the fuck happened what's going on understand the tidal shifts over time the various ways these kind of because um, like it, it's it's not like you know the 1917 moment didn't have its horizontal elements you know what I mean like it's these 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 elements of left organizing have always been there it's just that now we've kind of settled into this very sad repetitive um, recrimination based on identification with one element or the other yeah and I think that this there's a lot of things to say about this chapter, but I think one thing it tends towards is sort of a call for left unity under a different programmatic banner, right? So it's not it's not left unity in the sense that all platforms are equally valid, blah, blah, blah. It's left unity under what if we were to think about organization in a different way, right? But um, I, I, I think that... Um, experience sort of shows that left unity, if it means bringing in, uh, Stalinists, uh, <laughs> is, 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 is basically a dead end. Like you can't, you, you can't do that. Cause they'll, they'll contaminate your, your stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, they're just going to wreck everything right in, in the name of establishing Potestas. And that's not coming from a place of, you know, when we started this podcast, we were quite open minded about these questions. Um, I, I think as many people were at that point in time. Uh, and and it's it's really only through historical examination and of like, OK, what happens when Leninists take power? What are the effects of 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 of, of um, the Leninist party form? What's the context in which it was formed? And what effects do like Leninist parties have today in the world uh, that, you know, I at least sort of came to this 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 anti-Leninist point of view, uh, especially by, you know, seeing things like um, like attempts to establish left unity recently and just see them go nowhere because of the same pattern repeating itself. So it's it's not that I am opposed to organization. It's that I'm opposed to that particular form of organization and so i <laughs> i'm opposed to leninists <laughs> I, yeah and i and so I, I i don't think that left unity is something that has legs in that sense right like it, it it's we can't paper over that difference just because in principle uh, organization is necessary and valuable. It doesn't mean we should accept that form of organization. It's just something I wanted to say because this book does kind of tend towards the direction of, well, we need to do a big tent. And it's not to say they don't have criticisms of the Leninist tradition, but that you could take that logic out of it and say, well, why don't we just cooperate? We'll pay. Well, like, we'll, we'll figure out our differences, et cetera, et cetera. But you can't really do that when the person on the other side of the negotiating table is profoundly dishonest about 
like like sort of methodologically dishonest in the way that they do politics because it's baked into that particular reified form of partisanship. Yeah. Um, they're not working in good faith with you. Um, it is interesting because like right at the back of the chapter, um, the, the author does sort of say something similar that like, because there's this, there's this long section on organization as mediation. And then at the very back, it's like, well, you know, there, there are some kind of mediations uh, that can just be dismissed out of hand. Like, you just you just don't truck with bigots or fucking mentalists or, you know, Leninist psychos or whatever. Um, that, like, you know, it's... it's he, he ends up saying... He ends up saying it's not always a matter of the golden mean. Um, you can just sort of reject some of these things entirely um, as being like, no, no, one, one pole of the opposition here is unambiguously better than the other. Um, but... Well, and uh, the, I mean, the whole point is to say fuck the polls right like let's let's think in terms of sort of localized concentrations on a spectrum and it, it, it you know it's kind of like when you're doing audio editing and in the like you know 10,000 hertz part of the audio spectrum you have a horrible like staticky spike that's just a, a, a awful to your ears it's okay to just filter that out. Get rid of it. Right? Yeah, totally. It's on a spectrum, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that there isn't like there aren't like sort of qualitative differences along that spectrum, right? Or that there are there are things you might want or not want. Um, in the same way that somebody who's like like you know at every possible opportunity to do something effective is just going to be a wrecker and say no 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 like that's too that's too dictatorial like we can't we can't do that we need to disorganize ourselves immediately like like people who are just there to pump the brakes constantly and create chaos can also be filtered out <laughs> of that discussion, right? Because they're not honestly interested in, in organizing. And I think that's true of both of these sort of reified forms of politics that we are being criticized in this book. Yeah, because uh, fuck them, they don't need to be here. Uh, um, so, like, I mean, I kind of want to give a fairly quick summary of this, this section because it, it is interesting, but it's a bit too detailed. Um, like, organization as mediation, right? So, like, I mean... It, it does what it says, right? Like that it, it organization mediates between um, apparent dualisms like theory and practice or spontaneity and purposefulness, economic and political struggles, um, vertical and horizontal masses and leaders, you know, the inside and the outside. There's a lot of mediations going on and organization picks and chooses and filters and compresses and, you know, makes these things work. Um, but like we, we have a tendency to see these things in like terms of exclusive disjunctions. Like we do either micropolitics or macropolitics. It's either vertical or horizontal. But or organization organization finds the you know place that the slider is supposed to be set to for for a given context. Um, I loved a little bit then like the section on like force over form, because uh, how does this go right? So like you know when when you have these these apparent binary oppositions. Um, you can kind of think of them in terms of like logical contradictions in terms of like where one negates the other. So it's either A or B. If B is present, A can't be present. And then if you're going to mediate these things in logical terms, you need like a synthesis. This is, you know, Hegel stuff, right? Where um, there's some higher form that unifies the two terms or whatever. Um, yeah, it says uh, what mediation must do in this case is bring the two predicates together in a third term that would be their synthesis. 
Given that we are dealing with a logical contradiction, the problem, the contradiction, is in principle solved as soon as the solution, the synthesis, appears. By means of a third term that at once cancels and conserves them in a higher unity, it will be possible from that moment on to predicate the two previously incompatible terms from the same subject. So that's at the logical level, right? That you have you have two incompatible opposites, and then you find a synthetic term that will recontextualize them into uh, something that is mediated. Yeah. Um, and in the history of Marxism, like the the the, the, the synthetic term is the party, right? Like it's every, everything is synthesized into the party form, right? Um, and this is all very singular. There's like there's a, like a singular kind of posing of the problem of the contradiction, and then there's a singular answer of this like single form, the party. Um, that becomes your your prescription for how to go about everything. It's going to be it's it's like Lukash stuff, right? Like um, it's going to be. It's going to be all party all the time because of this. Yeah, just just to go turbo Hegel. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, right. Like, and and, and the, you can you can probably see the problem here, listeners. Right, that like this is a transplanting of a mathematical logical concept into real world politics, and it doesn't take a genius to work out that like real political forces don't. Uh, conform to logical structures <laughs> you know um yes so so uh the the sort of carry on from that is is nunez writes uh in short real opposition is not an opposition between concepts but between real forces or tendencies and whereas two concepts that logically negate each other produce no reality but only impossible entities like the square circle um, opposed forces can come into all sorts of mixtures bearing all sorts of proportions. Alternatively, we could say that the real opposition is not an opposition between determinate qualities, but between quantities, vectorial quantities endowed with both magnitude and direction, as in Kant's example of the two forces acting on a body, or intensive quantities that is, those that are non-additive, not composed of smaller quantities of the same kind. When we call an object hot or cold, we are registering the physical sensation of a change of state in our body occasioned by coming in contact with that object. Yet the fact that the verbal resources we have to do so make us ascribe a determinate quality to it, hot or cold, should not blind us to the fact that what we are doing is describing an intensive difference between the object and our body. It is hotter or colder than we are. Many of the qualities that we regularly ascribe to things, heavy, light, wet, or dry, function in this way. What they name is a quantum of some property, weight, temperature, humidity, resulting from an intensive or vectorial relation. They correspond to definite quantities produced by a real opposition. For example, the quality of heavy that we predicate of an object names the excess of the downward pull of gravity on its mass over the upward traction that we exert on it. That such differential relations differ from determinate states and that the former are the origin of the latter is an idea that we can trace as far back as the pre-Socratic philosopher Anaximander. So, you know, we get into it, you know, with like the real philosophical stuff. But the point is, 
essentially to map this opposition between um, determinate qualities and uh, and, and uh, definite quantities onto the uh, vertical horizontal opposition of determinate qualities and the actually existing reality of varying degrees of organization. Right. right. Yeah. It's it's varying the, the varying degrees thing like that that's the it's the key thing there of like a real oppositions take on have this character of being varying degrees in in relation to something, right? Like you you mix red and blue paint and depending on the quantities that you mix them in, you can just say it's redder or bluer. You know, you can't really posit red and blue as like polar logical opposites that negate each other. Um, same for hot, cold, heavy light, you know? Yeah, even to like, even to like, you know, sit, like take the sort of RGB scale and max it out at 255 red does not mean that that is like the platonic red. Right. <laughs> uh, it, it is not absolute. Right. Um, so uh, to, to sort of sum this up, Nunes writes, specifically, the abstraction lies in treating absolute qualities, which only indicate the two opposing directions in which an indefinite dyad stretches, that is more or less, as if they were actual entities between which one could and in fact should decide. Opting for horizontality or verticality in absolute terms is like choosing the cold in itself or the hot in itself, when cold and hot exist only as definite quantities arising from differences in vectors or intensities and the qualities that describe any single thing at any given time are only the balance of the differential relations acting on it. What exists is never this or that isolated element or quality, but only mixtures. The individual being is no longer an absolute unity, but the stability of a relation. Um, and so that's what actually exists in the world as opposed to, you know, uh, the absolute concept of the Leninist party, right? Or the multitude. Right, precisely, right? Because those those just aren't opposites of each other in that sense, right? They're not logically logically opposed terms. Like they're we have to see organized mediation and organization as balance between forces, not as not as a form which resolves a logical contradiction. Um, also, like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's one of these really lovely, clear things that, like, just casts, uh, it casts actually a really damning light on, like, the history of, of Marxism, like, you know, like, um, that, like, just, just this central fuck-up of projecting logical sort of terms and Hegel onto actual processes and sort of insisting that that makes any fucking sense, <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, it, it's to say, um... It, it it's too like we get into this more in the next chapter, but essentially it's to work something through in your mind logically and then try to reduce the variety of the situation down to that sort of one bit conclusion that you can get out of a logical proposition. Right. Like it it's, it's like it is it is <laughs> it's not to say that 
thinking logically is wrong. It's to elevate logical conclusions to the point that you ignore any kind of um, existing opposition of forces in like, you know, really existing uh, uh, quantities, right? Um, and 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 um, this reminds me a lot of sort of the problem with the Austrian school, right? Where um, it's like in uh, in especially in Mises, but also in Hayek, uh, you have like the you get the the sort of logical proof that uh, socialism socialist calculation is impossible. Right. Um, and and that's taken as definitive because, you know, logic is superior to empiricism. But then you have like what we saw with the People's Republic of Walmart, where engineers just like actually do the fucking thing. <laughs> just actually did it. Right. Um, in, in terms of calculation, in a way that refutes the the um, logical deliberations of the Austrian school. But. You know, if you are stuck in that that sort of abstract theoretical logical game that the Austrians set up, you can't even acknowledge the reality of the technology that exists, right? Um, because existence is is irrelevant compared to <laughs> the, the, the logical calculus yeah. that that just like uh completely filters it out from your perception yeah um cra crazy shit to reflect on that this is actually things people do um well i mean this is this is why people hate academics right yeah because they're all like it's one reason why people hate <laughs> academics is because you could you could go down these like uh theoretical rabbit holes uh, or extremely myopic rabbit holes that are encouraged by your specialization and just sort of miss, like, you know, th things that are around you in reality because you, you have, you've become such a sensitive apparatus for studying a particular thing that you can't see anything else. It's all filtered out. Well, that's it for this episode. We hope you'll join us again next time for part two of our discussion of neither vertical nor horizontal. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at GIUnitPod. You can find us on Facebook and all the podcast apps, so like, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like to support the show and get access to our community discord, go to patreon.com slash generalintellectunit and give us a couple of bucks a month. Your support is always greatly appreciated. This show is part of the Emancipation Network, a Marxist podcast network and research collective. Go to emancipation.network and check out our sister shows such as From Alpha to Omega, Jumpsuit Utopia, and Swampside Chats. They're all excellent shows and excellent folks. Once again, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time.